everyone. This is Crime Scene Analysis. I'm Angie. I'm Jess. And I'm Caroline. And we are back with a brand new episode this week. Episode 201 has officially aired and we are through the dead zone. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank God. Ah, jinx. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, let's just take a minute to appreciate the fact that we have new content to discuss. It's been so long. It has been so long. It's been it's 84 so years. <laughs> I feel like we have beaten the season one content into the ground. <laughs> yep, seriously. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm surprised we didn't get sick of it, but. <laughs> but we did. I mean, you can never really get sick of it, but. No. Yeah, we survived 2020 and we survived our first season long hiatus. So. Sure. We've come a long way, guys. We, we Give yourself really a pat have. on the back. Yeah, mm-hmm. here we go. I'm sure my microphone's picking that up right now. Um, so we thought since we finally have kind of a full house, our regular scheduled crew here, that we would do some real quick introductions, like who we are, what we do in real life outside of podcast stuff. Um, so I will start. My name is Angie. Like I said, I am a high school English teacher by day. I am a wife and mom of a four-year-old by night and an epically nerdy prodigal son and kind of superhero nerd person in my spare time. My kind of niche in the podcast focuses a lot on things that you would sort of do in terms of literature, like symbolism, theme, overarching stuff. And I also have a bit of a music nerd bone as well. I played cello for 12 years. I play piano and some other instruments. So um, I love to praise Nathaniel Bloom. He is one of my favorite people to discuss related to this podcast. So that's pretty much what I will offer throughout. I'm Jess. I I work in a copy center, (laughs) but uh, um, I I don't actually uh, have a job with what I went to college for, but that's all right. There's a whole group of people that are uh, are like that. But um, in my spare time, I'm a freelance artist. So I have a small business I'm trying to get off the ground. Um, and like Angie, I am definitely a music nerd, although she has a lot more to bring to it than I do. I played the flute for eight years, but I can understand musical terms and, and theory and whatnot. So that's always nice to nerd out with her. Uh, and I bring two uh, areas of knowledge and, and interest to our little podcast here. I have degrees in biblical studies as well as a degree in Christian ministries. So I have a background in theology there. I'm not a theologian or anything, but I did go to school for it. So anytime we have any mention of something biblical, I'm totally going to nerd out on that. And in addition, I had a tended to major in forensics before I actually went to college. So I have a large knowledge Um, I wouldn't say expertise, but a knowledge and a love of true crime, as well as the forensic science aspect of things. So when we do get to see that on screen, that's totally something I'm going to nerd out about as well. Yeah. All right, I guess I'll go. So I am Caroline. Um, This is my first time getting to be recording live on the podcast. So I'm very excited about that. Um, So outside of this, I am a speech language pathologist, otherwise known as a speech therapist, otherwise known as the speech lady by some of my coworkers, it's fine. Um, And I work in uh, a medical setting with adults uh, with a whole bunch of different populations and disorders. Uh, So that is 
definitely one of the things that I will be bringing to the table here. I have baseline practical medical knowledge in addition to my own specialized knowledge in the realm of communication. And there's obviously so much to unpack with that here with this show. All right. So um, before we kind of let's get going into the episode, we do want to talk about some cool things that are happening over here at the CSA podcast. Mm-hmm. First of all, we have been extremely lucky in that we've got some some prodigal son goodies from some of the more talented members mm-hmm. of our fandom. And therefore, we are going to do some giveaways during the first month of shows. And for simplicity, we decided that the best way to do this was going to be to have a code word throughout the episode at some point. We will be sure to highlight what that code word is multiple times when it happens. And all you have to do is get on your Instagram or your Twitter and tweet out that code word. When you tweet that code word, tag us. Both of those social medias are at podcastcsa. Use the hashtag podcastcsa and you're automatically entered. And for simplicity's sake as well, we are going to cut off the code word posting time at 8 p.m. on Monday's Eastern Standard Time. So sorry, international folks, we love you, but I, I didn't do all those calculations. I apologize. Um, We're not so math when that happens, <laughs> I'm, I am an English teacher. No, I am not doing math. No, Let me just no tell you. <laughs> so that's how that's going to work. Super simple. Tag us, post the keyword. All the names will go into a randomizer. And you're going to get some pretty cool Prodigal Son swag, which is always nice. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Are we ready? I am so okay, excited. Here we, here Let's we go. start. Oh my God. All right. So, all right. So 201 title, it's all in the execution and boy, was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, let's get some of the specifics out of the way. We have written by our two wonderful show creators, Sam and Chris. Obviously, they had to jump us into the brand new season after all the shenanigans that happened last season. Directed by Antonio Negrette, who I think did a fantastic job. Um, And I will praise, you know, we'll all be praising him down the line. But wonderfully, wonderfully done. I honestly, I was a little prepared for a black title card. Because the two major kind of altering episodes for Malcolm last season were black title cards. So I thought, okay here we go. Something's happening. And then I was shocked. I was like, oh, man, Malcolm. Malcolm was on a ledge. Let's talk about the symbolism of Malcolm on a ledge. Yes. Which is my next thing. We open with Malcolm on a ledge. Yes. Um, the, the, just the symbolism of him on a ledge. First of all, he is on a mental ledge. Yes. Yep. And to be honest, when I first when we first opened up with him like that. And even in the promo footage, when we saw him on a ledge, I got really nervous that he was on a ledge for a totally different reason. Yeah, like <laughs> I I was super concerned that the couple of things we saw where he's talking about the bad year and I'm like, who is he talking to that he's basically saying his goodbyes or something like that? Same and I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Cause it sounded like, you know, it was one of those like, last words I'll tell it to anybody who will listen and then I'll Mm -hmm. that's what concerned me and then but thankfully we have this who I I wrote in my notes that he looks just like Brendan Urie from Panic at the Disco (laughs) who walks out and I'm literally (laughs) when I was watching that makes that makes me so happy I know I knew you'd appreciate it I knew you'd appreciate it because Jess and I both love 
what is it like punk rock or pop rock i don't even pop punk that pop whole, punk. yes that, that whole area like he just comes out and he's in like a suit or something and i was like brenton yuri like excuse me <laughs> so i'm like oh so he's just gonna tell his final words to brendan yuri before he just jumps off i mean if but- there's someone to talk to before you go <laughs> yeah might as well be brendan yuri mm-hmm. yeah yeah. I do want to give that actor a shout out. His name is Hiram Delgado. I looked it up. Um, I really appreciated how he can kind of flip the switch. Yeah. He went from super nice and then his eyes turned into like, boom, I am the with devil. That, and I was like, nicely done. Yes. He did yeah. a great job. Great job with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of appreciated there was a good section of this scene where it was Malcolm informing new viewers what the hell's going on. Um, he goes through this whole thing like, you know, my dad's a serial killer. My life's been kind of crazy. He's all in my head, blah, blah, blah. We, as the previous year's fans, totally know this, but they have to. In the first couple seasons of a show, you have to continually like remind people what's going on. And it kind of reminds me of um, going back to my days in the Criminal Minds fandom. I think that whole first season, they re-explained what an unsub was every episode over and over. And I'm like, I know. Um, but that's that's kind of what we've done. So we've caught everyone up. If you missed an episode, if you've never watched the show, but they did it in an organic way. It didn't feel yes. like previously on, you know. Yeah, and yes. then they just listed yeah. everything that went down. Yeah. Exactly. And in my notes, I in my notes I wrote therapy time question mark. I was like, I know you're stalling, Malcolm, but are you turning this into a therapy session? You know, honestly, that's also what I had wondered if this scene was about. Like, this is him. I honestly started to get anxious and think that he was going to tell his big secret to this random dude going along the lines of thinking like are these his last words I was starting to get anxious and think is he going to fully tell this Brendan Urie dude everything that he's done like that my heart was pounding pounding yep which I mean is something to consider because he can't tell his therapist any of this Mm -hmm. stuff like he tom Payne himself has talked about his only go-to discussion is with martin and we find out um kind of coming up in a second that he has not spoken to martin in months yep yep so and i just living in his own head yes and i also wrote down that i one of the best lines was when martin gets on the phone and he's like i have sensational news and malcolm says please say it's cancer i just i don't (laughs) that that was a great joke i appreciated our our season two introduction to kind of almost the rest of the team without gil danny's head pops out and i'm like yes here we go um you know adresa had a bondage phase of course she did of course she did <laughs> i mean that that was a kind of nice surprise yeah again hats is... off to those one-liners from the writers i know yeah story Mm-hmm. after cuddle partying she moves straight to a bondage phase and it's like all right girl you do you boo i'm Clearly, proud of there you there was a progression in there somewhere yes, where she yes. went from cuddle party to 50 shades she she snapped <laughs> oh and she just she's such a little care bear like i can't imagine that she would have gone through some sort of phase like this but it pleases me i'm not gonna lie it's it's always the ones you'd never expect angie it's always the ones yep mm-hmm all right, so at the 503 mark, we have um, we have Malcolm and Ainsley talking, and there's this really cool moment where we kind of start to learn 
how long has it been? What all does Ainsley know? We know from previews that Malcolm tells her it was me, but in terms of the episode, this has not occurred yet. So we have that kind of conversation of how are you handling? Things have been different. I know you're not doing well. And we're starting to learn about Ainsley, how much she really knows versus what he's told her. And just to appreciate Nathaniel Bloom and all of his glory and genius, all throughout the previous season, we have this we're the same theme. That was the title of the theme. And it's the kind of continued main theme over and over. And it shows up in different ways throughout the first season. Sometimes it's very aggressive when it comes to scenes with Martin and where he's manipulating Malcolm. And sometimes it'll be like a piano ballad if it's just weaving in Martin's presence as a more metaphorical sense where Malcolm is talking about him and things like that. And I mean, Bloom found a thousand different ways to kind of weave this throughout the first season, which was amazing, but it was always kept within scenes that were related to Malcolm and Martin. They didn't always have to be present together, but when Martin's um, kind of hold on Malcolm was being discussed, this theme would show up. And I absolutely adore the fact that this theme starts to play in kind of a really chill melody kind of way as Ainsley is talking to Malcolm. Because this is the first time that she is the source of his epic stress and problems right now. She is the source of his mental whatever. This is one of the things I told you I was going to lose my brain. Like I could not handle. The yeah, no, please occurred. go off. Cause I didn't it's, even seriously, think of this. I'm, I'm reining myself in right now so bad because I want to just read. No, do it, Angie, go. Uh, <laughs> Go so I, I lost it. I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm like rewinding and listening and rewinding. And it's not when Malcolm's talking. It's when Ainsley's talking. Oh. When she says the phrases, um, you're something about the phrase of like, you know, you, you're not the same or you haven't been the same since that happened. It's the do, 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 do. And oh I was like, my and I lost it. I, it made me so happy that we have now shifted. This transition is now Ainsley and Martin get this we're the same theme because they're part of the stressors and I'm just like God Nathaniel Bloom you know this this is why I'm on Twitter going allow me to praise you for 16 pages Nathaniel yes. Bloom yes exactly like I had never even noticed that but that makes so much sense now now see this is also why I love us because now I need to immediately go back and rewatch this like 500 times just to listen for it oh my god and there was only one other moment in season one when Malcolm was in the hospital in Annihilator when he had been bitten and poisoned and Ainsley is his contact and she shows up there was about a four second stretch where she's talking and you kind of get like a dude and then it stopped and I wrote about it in my analysis from a hundred years ago. And I was like, oh, for a second, for a second. And I was looking back, having seen the whole season at that point. Yes. And I'm like, clues I missed, things I didn't know were happening. And he, they're genius, man. I'm telling you, the musical genius of this guy is just through the roof. Absolutely. So this was the first time that it fully fleshed out and it played while she's talking. And I went, here we go. This here we go. Yep. Mm -hmm. We are not in season one anymore, baby. Yeah. This is, this is big girl territory right yes. now. Yep. Literally. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I spent a long time freaking out in your DMs. Like uh, when I was reading all of those analysis with every musical point, especially when you identified the fact that everybody had their own theme and you identified what Martin's was. And I, oh, that's the kind of stuff that just Love gives it. me the full frisian goosebumps man yes. like, here yes. we go mm -hmm. let's do it 
in this same scene, um, we do finally get the flashback of our first moments of seeing what happened post finale last year. And we get the, I did this Ainsley, I killed him. Oh, poor baby boy, why do you draw those? But yeah, okay. about that. <laughs> All right, so should we unpack that then? And yeah, Please, go right ahead. Thought? Because I, I mean, I, I don't even know what I thought when we found out in the preview footage that Malcolm was going to take the fall for this. I think that my mind just went totally blank. And I, mm-hmm. I think so much over this summer, I was debating on whether you know, who was going to find out, you know, is he going to call JT and Danny and Gil? Well, not Gil, obviously, but who is Malcolm (laughs) going to let know, you know, is Jessica going to find this out? I was more thinking about how is this going to go down than, then it was a matter of thinking, okay, he's going to cover this up, but Ainsley did do this and he, you know, is just going to hide the fact like, oh, just, you know, something happened. Let's just forget about it. Let's push your memory down but I was not expecting him to say, no, this was me. Me, the person who was not covered in any blood at all. This was something I did. <laughs> it just, I I don't know. I was stunned by this. And now I think that's just, it's really got my brain, all the gears in my head turning and just uh-huh. thinking, how is the rest of this season going to go then? Because we know that guilt is something that Malcolm really struggles with and his emotions that he keeps inside himself, that is his biggest Achilles heel. And now he's got a huge one and it impacts not only his sister, but him too, because now he's aiding and abetting or whatever, whatever term you want to use for this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things that I remember reading in one of the millions of articles that I buried my head in right after the finale uh sam and chris the creators uh they specifically said they used the word like ripple effect how is this rippling out from ainsley and from malcolm and how does it affect each relationship with you know every character and everything that goes on yeah yeah it's kind of a divisive thing right now in the fandom um and i'm gonna try to stick you know to positivity here um yes a lot of people are kind of very frustrated with the you know where is this going to go from here like where how could this possibly you know um close out or find closure in any way that doesn't put him in prison Mm. but i mean i i gotta be honest when they chose to have that finale something had to happen yeah it was either we immediately lose halston to prison yep and then is it him visiting her and martin in prison like what what all's going down there which reminds me let me put a pin in this for one second i love how we came up with a a 30 second excuse for why martin is now back in claremont oh my god i just prevented the spread of covid like i I, again writers no no disrespect whatsoever i get that you have to have him in a place where we can have contact i get it we have a pandemic going might as well use it i get it but Mm -hmm. it was definitely one of those like okay sure yeah (laughs) we're just gonna roll with it i know yeah that's exactly my reaction too you know especially when he's talking about how like and of course like it's martin so he's gonna chat himself up and make himself seem like the best thing since sliced bread and he's talking about (laughs) contract tracing and i'm like you were a surgeon 
what do you know about content? But like, whatever, it was it's just true. like, I'm going to suspend my disbelief. I'm just going to roll with it because, hey, I was kind of getting like, when Martin was in Gen Pop, I was like, all right, where are we going to go from here? Because this is a little like, I'm what not a used to it. on his head. Yeah, yes, like... exactly. Like, I'm kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So to come back to, um, to the finale and the, ch- like, uh, something had to happen. Yes. Either they're going to cover it up and we're going to try to keep all of our characters and, and work through that. Or, or Halston was instantly going to be half off the show. We were going to lose Ainsley after this epic moment. Yes. Seats were out. Um, so I get it. If that is what Chris and Sam went to Fox with as their plan, which it absolutely was, mm-hmm. then you have to figure out a way to roll with that wave. Um, and I talked about this a little bit during the teaser, but it's a perfect new stressor for Malcolm. Yeah. Because we lost Sophie. We lost the girl in the box. He was kind of coming to terms with Martin a little bit, I think, on a smidge and kind of pulling away and saying whatever. So we need that thing that's going to torture the lead. And boy, is this not a thing that's going to torture the crap out of the lead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I get it's divisive, but it, you know, it's a psycho murder show. Like, I mean, how, how angry are you going to get about things that are a little outlandish sometimes in a show that involves chopping people's hands off and dungeons and guillotines and all of these other things. Yes. And and the other thing we have to realize is we are getting one piece of a very messed up 13 piece puzzle at the moment. So I just, yes, I'm a little like, worried about how this is going to play out but at the same time we've watched these writers do some pretty crazy stuff in 20 episodes especially with two of them being cut in a pandemic so I'm putting all my faith in them right now and I'm just gonna let them take us for a ride and this is a part where I think it's kind of good for us to be fans and we can we're allowed to be fans right now we don't have all the executive decision-making. We don't have to write our way out of this. So this is a part where I think that people who are kind of feeling, I mean, I myself was very shocked and confused by this whole decision, but I am just going to be a fan and say, okay, this is not what I would have done, but whatever. I'm I'm here to watch it. I'm not going to turn it off just for this reason. So take me somewhere. Let's see where it goes. Especially with it being the first episode of the season. You know, this isn't like the penultimate episode and then how the heck are they wrapping this up, blah, blah, blah. Like we have an arc. We have over what would have been half of a season coming to us. So um, I understand that having the whole break be so long and maybe some people just kind of kept building up, building up and now it felt underwhelming to them or something. Um, but I think sometimes it's okay to just step back and like, enjoy your show. Like it, yeah. it's going to be, you know, yeah. it'll work out. And if you decide it's not for you, then I guess that's okay. Yeah. But I think you have to just, it's, it's their call. They're professionals and you either trust that they know what they're doing or you don't. And that's kind of how, how it's going to have to play out. Yeah, exactly. So moving right along, at almost six minutes, we got to hear Bellamy Young sing. Oh my gosh, yes, that's right. Yes, I am intrigued if she played the piano. Again, the music nerd in me wants to know. Mm. You know, maybe maybe we'll have to at Bellamy and find out if she she played her own piano or not. But that was, I felt like we have a good shot at her actually having played that. So that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, The next thing I hit is a couple minutes later, we are chit-chatting. Love the pill joke coming from uh, Mama Whitley. 
but we talk about Estonia. And for those of us that don't know where the heck Estonia is or what Lake Peipis, I think was the correct pronunciation. Yeah. Um, yeah supposedly where, this is where Endicott's body has magically shown up. Um, and that is actually, so I looked it up. It's the fifth largest body of water in Europe, just in case y'all were wondering. Thank you for telling me. I deep dived it for everyone. And Thank it happens you. to be um, on the border of Russia and Estonia. So if that helps anyone with a little bit of geography, it doesn't help me a ton because I'm not great with European geography. Sorry, European people. I had no idea where Estonia is. Uh, but at is, least so we can... have kind of an, an idea there. Um, my bigger question is, how in the blue hell did we get a body to Estonia? And That's what I want to know. Is, I, I mean, I'm just, is it like a flat rate box? Did we just UPS, like, yeah, you know, postal service, UPS? if it fits, it ships? Like, what yep. are we doing? It was a, you know what? It was DHL. Because I have ordered things internationally and it's DHL that does it. And DHL wow, has sent me some crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. No, this was like an expensive $200 costume i will never buy again but like they somehow they make it work so maybe it was just like a trunk of luggage and they're like hey this belongs to some rich dude don't touch it <laughs> it's you know here's the thing though it was found in a lake so that means at some point he had a connection in estonia that completed this deed for him he had a college roommate i just like, well honestly yeah where, where's vijay is vijay in estonia looking there, at some watch heists? Like, what's going on I with vijay right bet. now <laughs> but, so, so not only now there's a third person complicit in this murder yeah just throwing that out there i know either that or they literally backed the truck up to the lake and just dumped it out <laughs> Just throw this little under the table. I'll like wire. What is it called when they like send money internationally? I'll, like wire you like three thousand dollars if you just magically make this truck and Don't everything in it disappear. Just throw it in the lake. Like, exactly. That's all I want you to do. Yep. Just repress and deny. <laughs> I was very intrigued by all of this, and I appreciate later Martin's just sheer like, "How did you do that?" Like I'm thinking the same thing. How? How yes. did you do this? Yeah. I want logistics. How many days did it take to get there? I want yep. that information. This is why we have to be fans now. We have to just sit back and find out. Like, please tell us how the actual hell did you do any of this? Truth. I'm very intrigued by this. So my next mark is at 827. We finally get to uh, get some discussion with our Danny girl. And boy, thank you, God, Sam and Chris, for some of these lines. Global pandemic, systemic racism. It's a perfect time to be a young Black woman in a cop. Mm -hmm. amen sister yep. mm -hmm. amen to yep. that um i'm gonna go way more into this down the road yes um, but i i am so intrigued and interested in the fact that we have three cops that are all people of color as leads on our show and we'll talk a little bit later about going into this particular storyline but it's such a unique perspective to have as kind of a both sides situation between the whole, you know, police brutality and, and Black Lives Matter and this, and they're right in the middle of it. And I'm really intrigued as how we have this perspective and how it can be played out. And I love that they're in constant contact with the actors and Frank and Aurora and all this talking about it. It's, it's amazing. Frank posted this really neat interview because I can't remember, forgive me, person on Twitter, someone had asked, like, I really hope they're consulting with you about all this, whatever. And he posted an interview 
in that interview, Sam and Chris were very upfront, like, listen, we're two white men. We don't have a perspective on this. We know we want to talk about it. We know we have to talk about it. What do we do? And so I love that they were just completely open. Like, look, this is not us. We need to know. Like I said, I will double a little bit more into that, but I love that they were just, let's do it. Like, this is something we have to address. And I appreciated that a lot. Absolutely. Yep. Immediately following, guess who gets a lollipop? <laughs> Our girl, but it's not lemon lime this time. It is not. So is there a symbolic difference between lemon lime and cherry? It is red. Are we sure that it's cherry though? Because it is I was red thinking, of some sort. Yeah, I guess was, we will claim a red flavor. Is yes, it strawberry? I don't know. Is it fruit punch? Like I don't know. And what is the symbolism of fruit punch? I mean, let's come on, fruit punch. Oh, There's gotta well, be something. I mean, it was <laughs> I might be overanalyzing that a little. We can go into Jess, please talk about color theory. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, artist. What's the difference between magenta, mahogany, and pink? I mean, I mean, they're all warm colors. <laughs> she oh, did dear. have a very warm smile for him when he gave it to yeah. her, too. And Agreed. she even like looks down at the lollipop before she goes underneath the police tape, and it just it was. It was very cute. And I, there's a lot of callbacks in this episode. Yes. Um, yes. There are a lot of just like little bitty things that will hit as we go. Um, and touching on, so this, there's something I noticed throughout this whole episode. Through the majority of the episode, Malcolm is in the same suit, even though it does not look like it. It is in daylight. It is this bright green. I'll have to put a picture up on our social media. I'll do yes, that. Yes, please. It's under like a bluish gray charcoal overcoat, but yes. it is Lucky Charms green under there like I'm not kidding you <laughs> it is very green and I, I kept looking at it in the daylight scene and I'm like wow that's a green suit and I remember Tom saying you know like there's a suit shortage right now there's not and I'm like okay maybe this is one of those it's a good suit we'll save it in case we have to use I don't know <laughs> um, mess not with that the man lighting. looks bad in anything put him in a mm -hmm. feed sack he would look just fine yes exactly um, <laughs> but I'm looking and I'm like this is the brightest suit we have ever seen <laughs> Um, whatsoever and then for the entire rest of the episode either the lighting on set or the editing afterwards it looks almost navy but it's the same tie it's the same suit the whole time so I wonder if they filmed this saw the dailies and went we have got to figure something out with this suit <laughs> like this is a little too intense for Malcolm Bright wow Angie you it was, really it was insane I'm a loser guys I Pulling see this stuff. all the stuff no I appreciate no. it and honestly I would have done more I ended up only doing one rewatch because work was wild this week but I would go uh, back and do more lines boo we forgive you a little mm -hmm. for goodness sake mm -hmm. <laughs> sorry but <laughs> like i want to rewatch it even lives and analyze this episode for god's sake <laughs> <laughs> you both <laughs> so the next thing i i hit was just i adored the childlike excitement with which tom Paine delivers his like it's a historical guillotine like mm -hmm. he, i thought he was gonna like wet his pants he was so <laughs> happy he was, and it just made me so happy the way he delivered it. It was not bright at all. It was like a kid at Christmas. Like, yes. Like he was so pumped. It made me so incredibly happy. I could not take it. And I know Caroline, you've yes. got some deep dive guillotine research. Yes. Yep. Yep. Oh, perfect segue there. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes. Cause I had the same childlike excitement when I saw that too. <laughs> 
to which I had to sort of take a step back during the commercial afterwards and think, you just got excited over a guillotine. What the hell is wrong with people? Who are these people who both admonish and then condone violence and murder whenever it suits them? Sounds familiar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry, so, moving on. <laughs> to have this sort of simultaneous both fascination repulsion with death and mayhem and crime and all that it reminds me of a certain someone in the show who is also having the same conundrum internally or maybe has he been having this struggle all along who's dun, to say dun, 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 dun. okay i um i was kind of amazed that he said the line something like oh france like demolished all of them in 81 yep and so i looked up i was like you're telling me they decapitated somebody with a guillotine in 81 oh yes yep because like, it was i was act- like so this actually this edu- this execution was the last public execution of someone in france afterwards they continued to use the guillotine but it was behind prison walls so it was still going on, but no one, the public was not around to see it. And what year was that you said? 1939. When Malcolm That's was crazy. then talking about the further history of it, I was like, yes, yes, yes. This is exactly what I was like geeking over about with this show. <laughs> I took that later Sorry, date. I took that later date. What was it? 81? Yes. The, um, I took that as, okay, they stopped using guillotines in the 30s. But took like 50 years to destroy these like these you know tools of execution not that they were actually still using them for 50 more years the (laughs) last actual execution by guillotine while private as caro did Mm -hmm. was 1977 oh okay and i am okay so i'm gonna butcher this name because I'm not sure that it's French completely. And even if it was, I would not be able to pronounce it correctly. Go for um, it. It looks like Hamida. And then the last name kind of has the DJ beginning, like the Django sound. Mm-hmm. The Jandobi, perhaps, could be. Okay. Um, a convicted murderer in France was the final person in 1977 to be beheaded mm-hmm. by guillotine. And then in 81, they were no longer doing this. And that blew my mind. I was like, so like in the 70s like the 70s rolling stones are at the top of the charts and we're still Ooh. cutting off heads with a guillotine like yes. what? it was so yeah. bizarre mm-hmm. that's actually pretty terrifying it was yeah. pretty crazy yeah exactly um so at the end of this scene and, and i just want to say right now this is in no way a slight to jt because he's trying to run you know the major crimes unit everything's going insane um i absolutely love that bright brings up that he knows someone that's dabbled in this and JT is just like, sweet, cool, run it down, yep. goes. And then Adresa, who I love, um, is just, it's the surgeon, right? Like she knows mm-hmm. immediately. And she mm-hmm. kind of makes that connection. And had Gil been the guy there, Gil would have known immediately as well and said, don't worry about it. We can run down records. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I really like that moment, not as a slight to JT, but just he has stuff on his plate he does not have time to worry about what's the cryptic meaning of what bright just said and he's trying to handle just this whole bonanza of stuff and i kind of like that they did that one it gave us a moment to see adresa is a little bit more connected to him which we know we know Mm -hmm. that she's a little closer especially after kind of the assistance that she offered him at the end of last season but it also showed like jt's just not there Mm -hmm. don't get there Mm -hmm. 
the bromance is alive but he's not yes. quite there mm-hmm. yet in that yes. case yeah and i i actually picked up on that line and mm-hmm. i actually made a point of writing that i liked that they gave adrisa that line the writers because we've seen multiple points where she's infatuated with him and absolutely like in a way i would say attracted to his intelligence and just like in the moment and you know with him spouting stuff off and there's been multiple lines that she's had where she hasn't quite read the room and she said something Mm -hmm. goofy and hasn't understood the emotional toll that it's now causing him and instead it was more of a serious line for her it was she was actually understanding that that's martin that means he has to go back and talk to martin now yeah it clicked yeah, i really her. appreciate that, that was really nice that was that was kind of like a because i know one of the things that like a lot of people say about adri says she's like you know super goofy and, and whatnot so i really like that they gave her that that line to connect with I'm, I'm i love the fact that she brings the levity and the humor oh yeah um and i know that some people are kind of a little sad annoyed that it's kind of like an asian cliche sometimes to be like the funny sidekick ha 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 mm-hmm. um but i feel like they're starting to kind of shift like they're still letting her be comedic relief because the show needs it mm-hmm. yes. we need moments where we're laughing every now and then um but then they're also kind of showing like she is learning to read the room like you said like yes. she knows that and it's pretty cool um this next moment is my second moment where i absolutely lost my ever-loving mind <laughs> um, it, it's at 12 minutes and 57 seconds and it is as malcolm is returning to claremont to talk to his father it is almost a shot for shot redo of the pilot. I, yes, Angie, I noticed it too. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, it yep. is. So we have this, the music is happening at the exact same moments. Yes. <laughs> then we see a fuzzy Malcolm, like unfocused, walking yes. down the, walking yes. down the row. It focuses in, the door opens. Martin's like, who is it? And yep. it is, it is almost verbatim, just enough to be different as necessary. With the exception of we don't get the my boy mm. at the end. Mm. Um, but I, I, as it's happening, I'm like, Oh, Oh my God, I have to write this down. Like I'm like yeah. losing my mind. Cause mm-hmm. it is just all the way up to the music cue, the music crescendos and swells is like, ah, and then it yes. stops. And I'm like my boy. And then it didn't happen. I was like, <laughs> <No>. Oh, <laughs> um, but I, I lost it. I was like, God. And again, Nathaniel Bloom, apparently he's like my music God. I'm just going to pray to him on the weekends. Yeah. You might as well. But it, it was, it was amazing. And I love kind of going back to the the interview with the whole cast where Michael Sheen was basically like, well, you know, Ainsley's bumped up now. She's number one. He's no longer. So he didn't get the, my boy. No. It would have been a, my girl if Ainsley had walked through the door, but uh, oh, he did yes. not, not get the, my boy. I, mm-hmm. that was a, a huge nerd moment for me. Yes. It was, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that we shared this moment, Angie. This I was know, probably I'm so glad. This is probably the only time where I was actually cued into the music. Cause I just, and I think it was because it was matching shot for shot with the music. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I would have just been like, mm, whatever, but yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I didn't write that like in my notes or anything, but something like clicked in my head where I yes. knew that was exactly what was happening. Oh yes. Yeah. If you had seen season one and you were as invested in this show as we are, or maybe even if you were just like a baseline like fan, normal invested, I think you would have normal. invested, normal invested. <laughs> you know, you like the show a normal amount, like, oh, I like this show on Tuesdays. I'm like, not like us. I think that, yeah, you would have picked up on this. It was, it was pretty awesome. And then I went back yeah. and kind of rewatched the pilot one. I was like, man, like it is as close as it's going to be without being a dead reshot. 
yes. back and forth. So it yes. was, that was a pretty sweet moment. Mm-hmm. Moving along, we have finally our first shot of Captain Gill of the USS NYPD. Um, I like, some people are annoyed with the time jump. Some people are like, why don't we get more blah, blah, blah. But this is the only way we get Lou Diamond Phillips back before mid-season of a 13-episode show. Mm-hmm. We have to fast forward to let his recovery happen or it becomes just outlandish that three weeks later he's back after being stabbed and half dead. Yes. So it has to happen. I also think it has to happen because otherwise they're on in quarantine if you're going to be logical and if we're going to follow any type of real life, which they do mention. <laughs> In, in the show and I think it makes sense knowing now that Malcolm has not talked to Martin that that we're we're months who knows the exact number yet um but mm-hmm. we are multiple months into him having no one to talk to with this information to deal with um and we get the introduction of a roommate Caroline yep. all right before i start going off does anybody else have anything that they would like to say about jer bear as martin i do want to say that i enjoyed them including a roommate as a type of thing that would bug martin in terms of him going from this like penthouse room by himself with the fancy rug Mm -hmm. and now he has to have a roommate like how how peasant of him to have to have Mm -hmm. someone in there Mm. um and it worked well as a um foil for them to be able to speak freely the way they needed um as you're about to go into i feel like it could have been done differently um (laughs) but i i liked adding that i'll let you finish this sentence first I want to say that I had, in addition to my job, which is largely with people with disabilities, I myself have a disability. I have ADHD. I am going to use people first language, people first being people with disabilities, talking about Mm -hmm. the person before their condition, and then use identity first language like a disabled person. I'm going to use the two interchangeably because people who are also in the disability community for the most part now, at least people around my age, like say millennials, are using identity first language (laughs) now. Um, But as a clinician, I was taught to use people first language. So I'm going to use the term interchangeably. I say this because I'm not trying to be offensive. Um, I will gladly cite sources if anyone would like to read more about it, but (laughs) so yes, I'm coming into this part of the show with that perspective of someone who works with people with disabilities and as a disabled person myself. We have Martin returning from who's gal, as he calls it, which I had to look up because I had never heard that term. That is slang for prison, by the way. Am I am I just so young that I don't recognize that? No, term? I also Googled it. So you're okay. fine. It's not just you. <laughs> I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> Anyways, so he returns from prison to find out that he's got a roommate, a roommate who is engrossed by cartoons and who presents with what society would deem to be childish behaviors, like sitting cross-legged on his bed and throwing a shoe at Malcolm. And at one point, Martin even says also he's a moron. Martin clearly seems to me to be using this word the way that it was once more commonly used as a term for someone with an intellectual disability um, and that we classify by 
by a bunch of different criteria, um, but it includes having a low IQ. It's the way that Martin says moron and his tone with which he uses it that makes it clear to me that he's being condescending and purposefully offensive and quite honestly ableist. Not out of character, I guess, for Martin as it is, but it was also seeing it in this show that sort of took me back a little bit, especially because of everything else that panned out in the rest of the episode, which we'll get in later. And as a matter of fact, I really can't tell what conditions, if at all, Jerry has. You know, does he have a traumatic brain injury, which is more commonly seen in adults? Does he have an intellectual disability that he's had since he was a child? Does he have aphasia or, um, which is a condition that impacts uh, your language? Does he have autism? Does he have some other developmental disability? I can't really tell because of how little screen time he has. Let's let's jump a little bit later to, and here's my timestamp, to about 2620, which is where my mouse told me we were at. Okay. <laughs> and Martin wakes up and electrocutes Jerry. Mm -hmm. And he starts off by saying, sorry, Jer, it's not you, it's me. And so in my head, I was thinking, of course, it's you, you narcissistic, ableist twat, but mm -hmm. in other news. <laughs> To everyone's surprise, Jerry speaks in what we would consider to be a socially acceptable way. He wakes up after uh, Mr. David is like, what the hell just happened here? To which he says, oh, I don't know. I felt a jolt. And he's talking in, again, the way that most people would expect an adult to talk to. And he's even saying to Martin, you know, just do the words that I'm saying make sense to you? And Martin's like, yes. <laughs> And Martin, of course, calls this new development in Jerry's language a miracle. So I have had almost six years total of higher education in my field. And all of those six years collectively have taught me that there are currently no treatments for conditions like whatever Jerry has, including things like autism or traumatic brain injury that you can treat through electroconvulsive therapy. And again, calling back to season one, when Malcolm is talking with uh, the psychiatrist, Simon, yep. that's generally something that ECT is generally only used with people who have depression that is resistant mm -hmm. to treatment or, or having episodes of mania. It is very rarely used in general. And you would think that even a cardiothoracic surgeon would know that. But, of course. But it's no. going to magically do some type of miracle heal of your verbal issues of some yeah. kind, according to him. Yeah, I, exactly. There's a suspension of disbelief again. The, the simple logic of the whole scene um, is a little, you know, okay, mm -hmm. suspension of disbelief there. Yeah. But you're, you're completely right. You know, there's yeah. there's definitely kind of a, and whether they're trying to play that as a, it's a Martin situation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we can, of course, yeah, because we know that Martin's an egomaniac, regardless, and that mm -hmm. he's going to brand any therapy tool as, you know, his own invention, <laughs> because the man really needs to sit down. <laughs> but anyways, my point is, why is Jerry in this episode? I've been removed from the episode entirely, to which I would like to end with, if your isms aren't intersectional, especially because disability doesn't discriminate on any basis. 
then we need to talk about it. And that's on that. Off my, <laughs> off my, off my soapbox. Okay. Well said and well deserved soapbox. I think. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you know we are not the only people that felt that way mm -hmm. um, while watching it. So exactly. So yeah, don't. Um, so me, we but... did jump ahead a little bit because those two, um, those two scenes related to Jerry have kind of some stuff in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to jump back to 1701 while Danny is in with Gil talking to him. Mm -hmm. um, we see a moment where she's kind of very, you know she kind of chokes on the phrase you almost died she does not finish it but we know mm -hmm. where that phrase was going mm -hmm. and i love that i love that we got to see danny be a little bit more emotional yep. we kind of really get the like i deserve to be here i'm equally as badass as everyone else danny which heck yeah she is but i think yep. it's nice to flex a little bit of more emotional muscle for aurora because we know she has it um yep what I want to really focus on is the transcript of the letter from Jessica on this table here. Here we go. Um, so there's not a lot. There's not a lot there. And I kind of fill in the end of some sentences based on what's going to be logical. Um, the, the first thing you can see is mid-sentence. So it starts, this, this is the content, content, and then we can discuss. Um, we start off with the phrase long, and I'm counting, and then we don't see what must be the days until we can see each other again. And then you see a XO Jessica. So clearly she's had some time away from him because it seems as though counting the days we see each other again, they've been separated for a little while, whether that was because of his condition or just schedules didn't work out, whatever. Um, but honestly, the thing that I caught the most, and I don't know if I just didn't catch it in the first season, did we hear her full address at all in the first season of the Whitley house? No. So I caught the corner of the envelope because it has the JW monogram and I caught the corner and it says that their full address is 3 East 88th Street, Manhattan. Naturally, I Googled this. Yes! The entire fandom is just like running there right now. <laughs> yes! It is the Guggenheim Museum. That is the address that they gave. It's the Guggenheim. So I don't know if that is, I mean, it has to be deliberate. You don't run a show like this and pick an address in Manhattan with the Google Maps plethora that's available. So I don't know if this was one of the writers has a huge, you know, art love, or if they're saying like they're, you know, they're the rich Whitley's. So we're going to give them the Guggenheim as they're, you know, <laughs> they're either way, it has to be intentional, but totally cool that like, that's the address they went for, which brings us to uh, God bless this actor that plays Izzy the rock star, man. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about, first of yeah. all, I felt like he hit like the washed up 70s Brit rocker yes. on all mm -hmm. points. And in fact, his name, shout out to Jeremy Crutchley. Nicely done, my good man. An American actor delivering that British accent. Wow. Not too shabby. Props. Um, and props to hair and makeup and wardrobe on this man. <laughs> He looks like he stuck his finger in a light socket. Like yes! it is amazing on point. And the set design of this whole house, there's a lamp made out of an electric guitar. There's cheetah print um, furniture. There's red velvet drapes. I mean, it screams 80s hairband rock star guy. Like it is just, I love it. The, the music nerd in me really, really appreciated it. Um, which leads us into, I believe, Jess is going to talk about us some forensic stuff. Go yeah. ahead. So when they are at Izzy's mansion, this is where we find the guillotine 
that that they've been searching for. You know, this was the connection that that Martin gave them. So we see this massive wooden historic object just on a pedestal in the middle of this room. Mm -hmm. And first off, Malcolm's completely awestruck. And <laughs> that was really Everyone nice to see same. because like I do the same thing and nerd out over history and biblical stuff and art and music. And yeah, so that was nice to see. Uh, but like I said, I have a an inclination towards true crime and some knowledge in forensics. And I have a habit of watching crime shows and then yelling at the TV for what I'm watching <laughs> because... There's so many things that happen that almost are never true. This one, not so much, but I still, you know, I couldn't help it. This is the only bit of forensics we really see in this episode. So right. immediately I, I started harping on it. I was like, yep, this is mine. So Malcolm pulls out a bottle of Luminol. All right, Luminol is a fluorescent chemical that will react with blood. We see it. It is one of the most common tools used in any CSI kit. Uh, in any CSI show. There's so many things that show, show up in CSI shows and crime shows that actually don't function like they do in reality, but this one <laughs> does function the right way. It is used properly for the most part. So, so Malcolm, we see him spraying for a few seconds and he like mostly sprays it on the blade and then like maybe on the sides. And then once the lights go out, boom, there is a like, there is glowing blue stuff everywhere. So at first I was rave. like- I was yes. like, first of all, Malcolm did not have enough luminol in that bottle for the amount of blood that is everywhere. Yeah, so exactly. I know, like I said, suspension of disbelief, but I just, it just gets me. But also there was way too much light in that room still. So luminol doesn't actually need any light source whatsoever. A lot of the times when luminol is sprayed on a TV show, they pull out their black light and, oh yeah, there it is, there it is. No, which is what I thought. Yeah. yeah, you actually yeah. don't need a UV blacklight source in order to detect that. So blacklight itself will detect bodily fluids and certain um, like stains and whatnot in the absence of light without a chemical, but that's not how blood works. So luminol is actually not a liquid. So luminol starts off in its purest form as little yellow crystals. So luminol itself doesn't do a thing. It's when you mix it with hydrogen peroxide and another, a base, which is the opposite of an acid, and you mix mm -hmm. those together with the luminol, it then has the ability to react with blood. And so that's why we see it glowing blue. So that will only react with a catalyst. It reacts with the hemoglobin that's in blood. So if you spray it on water, it's not gonna do anything. If you spray it on the wall and there's nothing there, it's not gonna glow blue but it'll react with the blood and that's the most common way to find the blood. So the the scientific word for that uh, reaction is chemiluminescence. So we have bioluminescence, which is a, a natural phenomenon that happens in plankton. Um, it's very often seen, I haven't seen it, I wanna see it in real life, but you can see it in the ocean and in lakes mm -hmm. and in swamps. And, and in creepy documentaries of on animal planet yeah, at 10 o'clock yeah, at it's night. Just, it's just <laughs> organic, you know, material organisms glowing just because of that's that's how energy is given off. Uh, but this uh, energy is given off in luminol as a blue glow. And it'll react with horseradish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's actually very true. Um, thank you, NCIS, first of all, for that knowledge, because they did correctly use that in a storyline when they were looking wow. for blood. That's definitely a, a pretty so funny thing. So Izzy was into some crazy horse rash yeah, so, kink. Yeah, so there's I mean, blood. we should spray the dungeon and see what was going on. <laughs> down <there>. oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. This episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy brought to yes. you by Jess. <laughs> brought to you by Jess and Luminol. <laughs> so that's very my cool. that's my little forensic and science nerding out nicely done nicely yeah done. um so immediately following we actually uh head down toward the old sex dungeon you know that everybody has in their basement no Just big casual. deal yep. um and um shit i have to pause because my mac is about to die <laughs> no, 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 break no, keep no. that that was just was that did you just rhyme there oh you did you did we have to keep it then Brett. we have Brett, to keep it, keep okay. it. Okay, Mac is plugged in, moving along. For the second time, we get to see Bright beat down a wall with a heavy object. That is not the first time he's done that. This man is just capable of literally doing, like holding you know? people off of a ledge, just beating things down. Like, he's, he's crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, which leads us into a sentence I never thought I would say. <laughs> Malcolm Bright dancing in a sex dance. <laughs> To that there's so song. much first of all shout out to the set design because it was a very neat set design if anybody actually saw past malcolm dancing <laughs> um, you have this like metallic gold covered stone painted all around um you know it gave us definitely kind of your stereotypical 50 shades of gray places here and there mm -hmm. um the song choice and then <laughs> Tom's just his little like, you know, let me bounce and jam. And then he's smacking the whip. I, I was laughing so hard as was, this scene aired. It that was, blew my mind. It was literally, this was a scene where it wasn't even Malcolm anymore. This was just Tom doing Tom. Mm -hmm. yeah, this is, things have been stressful. Let's have some fun. And yes. so now we have a nail gun and we're dancing. And now we yeah, like, I was, it is so funny. I was losing it in the living room. And uh, by that point, my cousin had gone to bed and they're at the at the other end of the house but not that far away and I'm expecting to get a message on my phone like you good like yeah yep what is happening I'm just mm -hmm. losing it yep <laughs> and for a split second in this dungeon when Boyd you know we see Boyd they do this great like the lighting is really cool and all that and then Boyd appears super neat moment in terms of camera and all that stuff um oh, yeah. but I'll be honest like the writers for about 15 seconds got me because Boyd says it was you. Yeah. And for about 15 seconds, I went, oh, shit. is he like blacking out and doing things? Like, I thought this is where we were going. I thought we were dextering. Oh. Like, he was about to start taking out the serial killers in the place. And I was like, whoa, we are about to take a turn. Yeah. Um, so well done, writers. Touche. Um, and I just want to talk for one second about, about how... Tom does this, the same flip that our um, Brendan Urie did earlier in the episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, like he, you know, he's kind of goofing. He's having fun. He's manic and deranged, but he's he, he, ha ha, it's all good. And then right about the time he sees that reflection in that mirror and the music cue does it too, Nathaniel, nicely done, yeah. where it's just this like bong and the eyes shift. Mm -hmm. yep. And we are immediately in, I'm calling all of these moments like Joker Malcolm. Yeah. Because he reminds yeah. me so much of like Heath Ledger's Joker, like the creepy smiling and that all kind of stuff. 
And so it was, it was like a Joker Malcolm flip where like the eyes are turning and he looks like he's going to straight up come over there and slash you. Like that's mm-hmm. a thing. Um, and so it's just so Tom's performance. It's believable that by the time he has that saw and he's headed over to maybe I should kill you. You're like, for the love of God, like, what is he going to do? And then snap, he's immediately out of it when he hears Danny. Oh, Hey, what? Hey, I just let him go. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. The and other he, just, thing he does that so well. Go ahead. Yeah. The other thing that I had noticed about that was when he picks up the saw, he's like, oh, I love these. Or he says something like that. And I thought that we were going to flash back to when he was later cutting up Endicott's body. Like, is there a reason why you're saying that? At 29.30, my heart fluttered a little when they said police work is patience. Okay. 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 I had had like asterisks all over my page (laughs) at that point because I'm sorry, The Trip is my favorite episode. And I was so excited that they had that callback there. It was just like, that is, oh. Like you said, I mean, so many callbacks this in this in this episode to, yes. you know, things throughout the season. So that just like. <laughs> like we got fed, we got fed. Like the, the people that have been there from the get-go got fed just like the newbies were going, what in the hell yes. was going on? Yep. Um, like there was, there were definitely the nuggets of we appreciate you, you know, going throughout here. And I, I really enjoyed that. Which leads us to, um, shout out to our editor, Britt, <laughs> the, the scene that kind of just encapsulates this whole episode where we have Gil and, and Danny chatting about Jessica we have Malcolm and Ainsley talking about kind of the plan that they know that Natalie is not necessarily the murderer, but we're using her as bait. And then we also have Jessica as a solo eavesdropper on the discussion between Gil and Danny. Um, Strictly from a musical standpoint, I think this song Gaslight by Solomon Gray is gorgeous. It's a song that focuses heavily on the music a little more so than the lyrics. It's a really short set of lyrics. and they're kind of drawn out throughout the song, but just the way it plays between um, the different conversations that are happening. And there's a really cool line. Um, it opens with the line, how long will I be away? Which I really think fits well with Bright right now. Like he's not the Bright that we know. Mm-hmm. And it plays under him talking to Ainsley because it's our music supervisors and it's Nathaniel Blim when we know. Um, shout out to the music supervisors i'll come back to y'all in just a minute <laughs> um like it that's beautifully edited and then as danny is kind of flipping the parental script on gill in this scene and telling him look you you were wrong you screwed up it almost cost you your life you are letting your feelings get in the way of your police work we'll come back to you miss danny powell mm-hmm. in just a moment uh, <laughs> But during that scene, we have the line, which our editor Britt was so stoked about, is that now I'm the parent and you're the child, where she's kind of lecturing him about, you made a mistake, you're the best cop I know, but you can't let this happen. And then of course, while all that discussion is happening, shout out to Bellamy Young, a silent performance that is just beautiful. You know, you Mm -hmm. see all the different things in her eyes, the emotion without a single line of dialogue, which I felt was, was really beautiful on her part. So the next scene, we are in Malcolm's apartment. We find out that the killer, um, but Tom, which always makes me giggle a little bit when the actor has to say his own name <laughs> repeatedly. Say their own name. <laughs> yeah, for some reason that just tickles me for some reason. Yep. Like, oh, he had to like yell at this guy a bunch. Uh, we find out that the real killer who was an executioner is 
in the apartment with our Tom. And I, I loved that Malcolm humble brags to the dude that's about to try to kill him. When he's talking about, oh, what century is it? Ninth or 10th century? And he's like, ninth, actually, not to be that guy. Like, this dude is talking about the weapon he wants to try to kill you with. Yes. And yep. you're still humble bragging about your weapon stash. It's like, it takes me back to Wait and Hope with the landmine scene where, like, Malcolm's like, good thing I don't have a hand tremor. And then it's guilt. You're making jokes. Like, yes. <laughs> I laughed so hard. I'm like, only him in this situation would yes, be like, actually, yep. it's from mm-hmm. France and it was blah, blah, blah. But anyway, you were going to kill me. Let's go ahead and finish that discussion. <laughs> and I love that we like, we have a little kind of funny moment. Like, am I giving off murdery vibes? Is it the hair? I love they reference the long hair. The long yes. Hair, that we give him kind of a joke. And of course he's stalling because he knows that he has left this phone on the counter, mm-hmm. but it works. It, it's pretty, it's pretty humorous. Um, in terms of music, I'm going to have another little moment here. And in this scene, it's like a real quick do, 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 do. So your kind of heart rates up, you know, things are going down. Um, and they use that a lot in intense situations on the show. They'll have like the choppy strings happening. But then the minute Malcolm goes into his last words and he starts talking, you know, I always knew that I was kind of like my father. It immediately changes from the chop, chop, chop to the do, 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 do. Oh my God, Angie! And wow. We're right into it. Forgive me, I'm not a singer. Okay, forgive me. And no, my a- com- Apple computer is like, are you playing music? No, I'm not. <laughs> um, but it's beautiful. So we have this intense, you know, um, score underneath. And the minute we talk about Martin and his metaphorical presence, there's that theme. And it's it's a pretty version of the theme. It's not the nasty theme we get when Martin's in person. It's very, you know, kind of string and beautiful and that underlies the entire discussion of him saying like, I'm like my father, I can't deny it, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was really cool. I, I always enjoy those little ticks and moments where it switches like that. It makes me really happy. Yes. Oh my God. And you will notice throughout the first season that there are deliberately different versions of the theme with different things Malcolm is doing. If he is complaining or reluctant, you get like a piano, like a soft ballad version or of something like this, where it's kind of sweet, but it's still there. If he's making questionable decisions, or if he's, is he going to kill Endicott? I don't know. Like, then you get the Martin version Mm -hmm. of the theme. And it's really cool how Bloom plays that out. I mean, he, he does a great job. And not to mention, there's like thousands of other actual scores that happen throughout. But this particular theme just has its really cool moments as they pop in in and out. And it makes me very happy. (laughs) Which leads us to our next section. Danny sweetie what you doing me hi we love you boo you're amazing take your own advice for god's sakes um not that i'm complaining i get that the people you care about can cloud your judgment Mm -hmm. (laughs) excuse me let me um, as carol would hate clear my throat a little Um, but we just got done lecturing papa gill about this sweet pea and the minute you have no backup, up the stairs we go to help out Bright. Yep. JT even JT even said, wait for backup. And she goes, I'm going in. Nope, because yes. she thinks that Bright is gonna be her backup. And it's like, no, you picked the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh, um, which leads me into um, and I've already vented to you about this, but I feel like the listeners need to know. I want to see the blueprints of this freaking apartment. <laughs> 
I want to know how she went up a freaking outside staircase that is supposed to be a fire escape and then ended up still outside the apartment and had to come in through the front door. If we're talking logistics, we know that Jessica owns this building. We know it's a snazzy as hell apartment. He has every floor to himself, however many there are. Why is it your fire escape doesn't come in somewhere in the apartment? Like, I feel like we should have heard her come from the bathroom window or mm -hmm. from downstairs, like upstairs to downstairs. And we just hear her come through the door. Like, is that not the point of a fire escape is to have a safety exit that's not your front door? <laughs> mm -hmm. And then they exit later. We talk about that, you know, exit later down the same damn fire escape. Why don't you just go out the front door? Yeah. I understand that we need them there for the JT plot line. I get the logistics. However, I'm really confused about the blueprint of this apartment. <laughs> we need to know. We could have seen the up the upstairs. You know, I feel like, you know, Chris, Sam, writers, if you guys just have a blueprint laying around that explains the fire escape. Maybe Tell we should get out on social media. Maybe yeah. we help out someone with my particular analytical brain that's going a little crazy there. No, yeah, that everybody else is feeling too. I'm sure, <laughs> at least people um, like us. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily agree with the hate that Danny is getting in this scene for the whole drop the weapon, pointing the gun at Malcolm. People are upset um, at her over this. I literally <sighs> goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. I I can't. Let's. I'm leaving. <laughs> Oh God! I could. I we could have a whole podcast on my belief of some of the stuff that kind of gets said about Danny. I'm not going to go there, um, but honestly, she has been watching Malcolm slip into his own mm -hmm. personal version of a just a complete dumpster fire circus, yeah. <laughs> and she she has seen. She watched him practically buzzsaw a dude in in the dungeon. It is not outrageous for her to point her gun at him when he has a weapon at a man's head. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe she had absolutely no intention of, intention of shooting, but to say that like, why could she possibly do this? She don't know what he's gonna do these days. I love Bright as much as the next person. Yeah. But he is on the edge. Yeah. And he's shown that he makes rash decisions that have an impact on people. Granted- like Chopping off the ends. Yeah. Yes. Granted that the ends was not entire, you know, was for a good reason, but, mm -hmm. you know, so like mean, his means justifies the, or his end justifies the means. There you go. And, <laughs> but like, she knows he's used something to hurt another human, like he's capable of it. Shout out to the fact that we actually let Tom Payne do a couple stunts. We let the man <laughs> roll across once. a desk. Yes. Woo! <laughs> And play with weapons. And I've talked a thousand times all over the place about the fact that he was criminally underused on, on The Walking Dead. Now, thank mm -hmm. the Lord, because we got him. Yep. It all worked out. And he now gets to be one on the call sheet, as well deserved. But I mean, this man has abilities. I understand that from an insurance standpoint, now he's the lead, especially the lead during COVID. We need to be <laughs> careful with him. He is precious and must precious. be protected mm -hmm. at all costs. But at the same time, and I'm sure maybe he feels the same way a little bit, like let him flex a little bit of that, like, look what I can do. Yeah. Because most of us in the fandom have seen the videos of his like, you know, martial arts training and things that he did. Um, like he can roll over a desk without pulling a, a, a disc. He can probably work that out. <laughs> um, so I appreciated that. I was like, okay, for sure. We knew that that was him. You could tell the hair was flopping. It was a whole thing. Which leads us into the first part of this scene with JT. We've kind of decided that we're going to, 
focus on kind of the logistics of it and the artistic side of it. And then we'll come back to the kind of thoughts on it as a whole in terms of a storyline. Um, JT is in the alleyway. He is getting ready to go up to try to help them um, before he has a chance to show the, the beat cops that kind of come as backup that, hey, I am the commanding officer right here. Um, there's some assumptions made based on his race and he is kind of immediately pushed up against the wall, you know, club to the, to the neck, and he does not have the opportunity to show his badge and explain, um, and he's not being listened to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was definitely kind of a, a nerve-wracking moment. I wasn't worried that we were going to lose the character, like, so yeah. I didn't have the, like, are they going to kill him? You know, I was not yeah. that panicked, um, but I'll be honest, it, it definitely hit me harder than I expected. I was kind of emotionally like, wow, this is really intense. Um, And from a production side of it, it is a gorgeous scene. Mm -hmm. And please understand what I mean by that. Um, Like there, like there's rain falling, which always looks nice on camera. The lighting is the gorgeous, like flashing of the lights, which, you know, red and blue, and then it's purple in places. And there's, um, if you don't know on production, a lot of times they will like wet surfaces outside anyway, like they'll wet streets, they'll wet brick um sides of buildings because they look more pleasant wet Mm -hmm. than kind of that ashy mortar color when they're really dry and hot so you have just this aesthetically pleasing scene which is such a juxtaposition to the content of the scene itself Mm -hmm. which just is grating on your emotions and and your eyes um so that i loved i loved um frank's portrayal in that moment which of course we can talk about other things later too but you can tell that he is is just completely terrified yeah as well he should be mm-hmm. um and I really liked I've spoken to you guys this too the way they played Bright's kind of like what the hell is going on as he comes mm-hmm. down the stairs yes like that there was that kind of privilege moment of like what in the hell are you walking why did yeah. this ever happen yeah and behind him going, no, no 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 because she knows Yes. He absolutely mm-hmm. knows. And then it clicks for Bright. It's not, he's not slow by any means. It did not take him long to process that. No. But within seconds, you can see in Tom, like, oh my God. And Danny is, wait, 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 you know. Um, and that was just more to come on that. The the thing that, that like my brain kept latching onto in that scene was the absolute fear in Danny's voice. Yeah. It, she wasn't yelling like, wait wait no she was like wait 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 wait, wait." like Mm -hmm. very fast and absolutely panicked this is coming from an actress who you know has experienced experienced this this. so like I feel like that also that wasn't acting in that moment like Mm -hmm. that she didn't have to you don't have to dig deep for that yeah she didn't have to dig deep like she she didn't really have to act to do that it was just like you know bring out your experiences and there's Mm -hmm. your emotion yeah absolutely which leads into the scene where we have JT just absolutely frantic um, mm-hmm. in the conference room. He's, he knows how things like this tend to go. Um, and I just, I, there's so much about this scene that every time I rewatched it, I found something new. Mm-hmm. The first time was absolutely just Frank's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, watching our resident tough guy shed tears, he's panicked. Um, and it's, it just hits you right in the heart, you know, it yeah. hurts. And then multiple other times I watched and I see Malcolm, who is just a deer in headlights. Like, what have I just witnessed? Yeah. Like, holy crap. You know, like he's obviously never experienced, 
something like that. So, and then you watch Danny, who's just fuming in the background. We got you. This is not going to happen. She's yes. the she right the versus wrong and we will fix it. And JT has already decided I'm done like this, yeah. you know, game over because I mean, statistically he's not wrong. Yeah. And I think also in terms of Danny, the way that I had interpreted it, that, yeah, she is like the textbook, like, oh no, this is fine. But I think that it's also, she's using it as a coping mechanism because she's also terrified. And so she's mm-hmm. using this, like, there's no way you're okay. Because she also knows that statistically this can end bad. And so she's yes. comforting both JT and herself because. Oh, sure. They're all, I mean, she's beside herself right now too, as much as JT is. And Bright yeah. too, who is like showing his I mean, white boy uh, yeah. privilege. <laughs> Obviously Bright is like, oh my God. But at the same time, you can tell that he's like, I, I can't believe this is a real, like I just witnessed this in front of my face. We'll, we'll come back to this. Um, you mm-hmm. know, we have some, some comments on this later, but we're going to go ahead and move on for just a second. Um, at 4213, I found my second mirror image moment. Um, I'm kind of wondering if Carol got this. I'm kind of stoked if she does. Um, so we are, we're back. Um, Malcolm has gone back to visit Martin and we get a little bit more detailed flashback about the things that he did, about him saying, we're going to have to dismember him using the saw. And there is a moment where he uses the saw and his face gets splattered, which happens in the pilot. He gets blood splattered in the pilot on his face. Um, and I just, I, I kind of love that we had already had that bookend moment from from earlier and then we see this and the two and these moments are just so drastically different they're not identical by any means the first time he's on the side of good he's absolutely outraged that this could happen why would this guy do this and then now here he is the source of it or a complicit source of it um at this point he gets the blood splatter he kind of wipes it off and it's literally the blood is on his hands i mean come on could we be more symbolic um i mean it's on the nose um but i just I kind of, I really loved that. I loved the the way that we kind of have now come full circle and now he's got blood on his face because it's part of what he's doing. I also, I cannot, you know, a shout out again. I, I did not shout them out by name, but I will now to uh, Season Kent and Gabe Hilfer who are music supervisors. They're the people that pick the, you know, the lyric based music. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, it's written in the script and something that the writers really push. We need to find this particular song, but a lot of times it's on them and They've done a gorgeous job. So many great moments in season one with the songs that are just, you know, as you said, chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the use of Don't Fear the Reaper here, first of all, the cover (laughs) is gorgeous. I loved it. And much like some other people, for a split second, I was like, is this Jen Ackerman? Like, I thought, did did we use Tom's wife? Is she here again? Um, (laughs) But then I realized after a little bit, since I have all of her stuff and I'm kind of a super freak for her music, um, I was like, okay, no, it's not, but gorgeous. And it just, there are so many lines in that song that, f- excuse me, that fit as well. Um, like just the line itself, don't fear the reaper. Like that is literally what Malcolm fear- fears right now is the consequences of everything that he has done to cover this up. Um, and so while it's like, oh, hey, cool cover, blah, blah, blah. Like it's very symbolic. Like it mm-hmm. fits that moment. Um, and I'm a big fan of having like these crazy outlandish moments visually with these just like ballad and slow, beautiful songs where they offset, like he's chopping someone up with a saw, blood is spraying everywhere. And it's this very mellow, chill version of Don't Fear the Reaper. And that was very, very gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm shocked with our team, but very good. (laughs) Yeah. 
which is kind of the wrap up. It, it wraps up with, you know, you think Martin's going to do something sweet, which shocker, here's our typical Martin sandwich. Um, you know, he's come here, come here. I want to hold your hand. And then he says, thank you in this real snarky way. So you're like, what's he going to do? Like, what's he going to do to hurt Malcolm? Then it becomes a genuine thank you for saving my daughter. I'm so grateful. Tom's performance with the watery eyes, the whole oh thing is God. beautiful. And then of course, you know, to end your kind of DB sandwich that is Martin Whitley, it becomes, well, maybe you're having trouble because you liked it. Maybe you like that you got away with it. Um, and just darned if we're not back to screwing with our boy's head as per usual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yep. And that, I mean, that wraps up the episode. That's it. That was a whole jam-packed bonanza of crazy. So speaking of long ago, that giveaway, our code word for this giveaway is Gilly, otherwise known as the name that our dear washed up band member gave to his pet guillotine. <laughs> That's right. So Gilly, G-I-L-L-Y. And just to recap, don't forget, you will tweet that out. You will put it out on your Instagram and make sure that you tag us on both of those platforms. We are at podcast csa if you do that anytime between now and 8 p.m eastern standard time on monday we will put you in for a drawing to get some of our really cool prodigal son swag mm -hmm. and you want it <laughs> oh you want it it's amazing I these aren't pencils and pens people we got the good stuff mm -hmm. let me just say oh the fan profile down brit hello <laughs> my just completely i love you boo I, I love you brit i love you so much i love you to the moon um, <laughs> we, need to, we need to suck up after that. All right, so now that brings us to our fan profile of the week. And some people had some questions and we're kind of a little bit unsure about how this worked. Um, basically, all you have to do is go to our social media platforms. We have links to a Google form questionnaire and we call it our fan profile naturally because of our boy Malcolm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just, we really wanted to highlight the fans because we feel like this is an amazing fandom to be a part of. We have such creative and talented people out there. You can fill this out and only kind of get a verbal shout out and we'll give you some love on the different things you create. And if you want to share your social media handles and things, we'll definitely do that. You have an opportunity to potentially join in as a guest for your segment if you would like to, not a requirement by any means. But I mean, if you want to, we would love to have some extra voices on here to chit chat with for a little while. That'd be super neat, but it's not a requirement. So for those of you that might not be comfortable with that, um, not something you would have to do. And there is a question on that form regarding if you would want to. So since we're a little shy on the number of responses so far, because there were some questions there, we decided um, that this week we were going to highlight one of our own. And that is our glorious editor, um, Miss Brittany Jackson, who you guys know as Tinker Britt. Woo! Um, yes, amen. Let's clap it up was... for Tinker Brett, our woman behind the scenes. So um, just a little, a couple things to know about her. First of all, if you don't know her and you like videos about your show, you have come to the right place, all right? Mm -hmm. um, as of the recording of this, she has 37 Prodigal Son videos on YouTube. That'll and they range from, from lovey and mushy <laughs> to, you know, deep and depressing and you're about to cry to crack videos full of hysterical nonsense and Hamilton references to uh, yes. the prodigal son. I mean, she hits all the gambits. Um, and most recently, this week, our girl made a video about Danny 
and about um, JT. And she weaved in these beautiful, like all the names of people that have, you know, died unjustly, whether it was police brutality, other situations, racial injustice issues weaved it through this episode um, with the things that happened in this episode. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, she's getting a ton of love from producers, from um, the cast, you know, writers, everyone and their mother on this show is just so proud of her as we are, obviously, mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, and just giving her so much love. It's really, really amazing. I definitely recommend you check it out. That particular video is called Two of the Best, which is one of Gil's quotes about um, JT and Danny. I asked her what her top four videos were. I don't know why I picked the number four. I did. Um, and she said that was like picking her four favorite children, that it was a very difficult decision <laughs> um, for her to do. But she begrudgingly gave me a, uh, a short list. And she did not include this week's video because she's like, you're going to talk about it anyway. So um, her top videos of hers were the story of Brightwell, the story of Danny Powell, Malcolm's crying and eight letters. So if you want to look at the ones that the, the legend herself have said are the top <laughs> of the top, that's where you would probably start. Mm -hmm. On all of her platforms, she goes by Tinker Brit, like Tinkerbell, but with a Brit on the end. And it is a three teed Brit. So make sure you have three T's there if you're looking for her. Um, and honestly, I mean, we're, we're just blessed to have her as our editor. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. She's a great gal. Um, and we're very grateful and proud of, of all those accomplished. So hats off to our fan profile of the week, Miss Brittany Jackson, which kind of leads into, um, my own personal thoughts on this situation. So, um, we are a drama that is very amazingly filled and front-loaded in the lead characters with people of color. Um, mm -hmm. And they also happen to be police officers, which I think is a rare and unique viewpoint for this particular issue. I know it is a divisive issue. And I know right now there are sections of the fandom that are talking, you know, jumping ship and stuff like that. And I guess, you know, to, to each their own, if that's the case, I don't. Mm -hmm. I will try to be as politically correct as possible. It is very hard for me to do that in mm -hmm. this situation. Yep. Um, I absolutely want to say to those people, um, how dare you harass our actors over it? Mm -hmm. That yeah. just, again, I will censor. I'm a teacher. So I will censor <laughs> and make sure I am not saying what's going through my head right now. Yeah. Um, but how dare people attack our actors of color, our actors of color, who, by the way, Aurora, not even two weeks ago, got profiled at her own damn apartment mm -hmm. and they wouldn't let her in because God forbid she be a black woman in that nice apartment building. This is happening. We're talking days ago to actors and actresses. Yeah. Not the poorest people in the projects, which of course it's happening there too, but it's happening to them mm -hmm. as well. She is on one of the top rated television shows from last season and this happened to her. Yeah. So let's not pretend that it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Okay. I feel like that that phrase, like the I don't see color kind of came from a good place originally. Yeah. Like I really think it, but it, that's not helpful. No. Anyway, I know that a lot of people try to say that in a way that leaves, well, I don't see color. Well, no, we do see color. Mm -hmm. We acknowledge that there are differences and we embrace those differences and we try yes. to help mm -hmm. those differences. Yeah. Um, so again, I think we have a really unique perspective. I am very interested in how, you know, we kind of have people that are on opposing sides 
in one character. For example, like JT, who this has now happened to him. He has been a victim of police brutality, but he's a cop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like this is a very, I don't want to say cool because I feel like that makes light of the situation, but it is a very intriguing um, perspective that yeah. I don't know that there's another show that would give us that. My, my final thoughts, and again, I will try to filter as best as possible, is to those of you that feel like this is political, it is absolutely not political. Mm -hmm. There are no politics and racism. No. Um, it happens. Mm -hmm. There is no one political side thinks and one political side doesn't. It happens. Facts are facts. Yeah. Fossils are fossils. They prove we have dinosaurs. Statistics <laughs> on this are statistics. And thank you, exists. teacher. Um, facts yeah, and opinions you. are not yes, interchangeable. And I get it. I'm white. I have never experienced this. It is kind of uncomfortable yeah. to see white people doing that. I don't like to see those videos. I don't like to see that happening. Yeah. But do I watch it? I do. Mm -hmm. Because I need to understand that this is yeah. not my experience, but it is absolutely someone else's experience. And the yes. way that you have compassion and empathy is to try to understand their experience. You don't get annoyed that, ooh, this makes me uncomfortable. You try to work. And yeah, it may not be you. I hope for every reason that it is not you acting that way and saying those things, but that doesn't mean that we cannot acknowledge it, acknowledge mm -hmm. that I am not going through your experience and I want to do something to make it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and honestly, to the people that are trying to jump ship and say, I'm never going to watch this show again, um, it... <laughs> Frankly, it's laughable to me that we have had corks in people's necks. We have chopped off people's hands. We've been in sex dungeons. But this is the particular moment that you have chosen to say, mm -hmm. I'm not going to watch this. Yeah. Um, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On that note, we will be back next week, as always, with another new episode. The crew, um, the trio, as it were, will be alive and kicking. Mm -hmm. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, let us know. Like and subscribe. Um, send us some comments give us some reviews let us know what you think and fill out that fan profile if you want to get a shout out just like we did for Brit or if you want to maybe be a part of it let us know mm -hmm. until then we will catch you later so farewell guys it's been All right. bye bye, bye.